listening to the Smells Like Middle-Aged Spirit Podcast. What smells so bad? It's strong, but you'll get used to it. Now, here's your host, Nick Stevenson. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. It is my pleasure to finally welcome you to another episode of the Smells Like Middle-Aged Spirit podcast presents Off Script with yours truly. I am your gracious and humble host, Nick Stevenson, and I want to thank you for your patience. It has been a month since I recorded the last Off Script. It'll be a month tomorrow, actually. Um, and I, to be honest with you, I probably could have banged out this episode pretty quickly within the next day or two after that, but I did want to treat the subject matter uh, with the respect that it deserved. And the reason I believe it deserves respect is because there's a pretty deep divide among some of us in the country right now when it comes to the topic of wokeness and whether it's a good thing, bad thing, whether we should fight against it, fight for it. Um, and I don't think this episode is necessarily going to fix the country, obviously. Um, but I do hope some open-minded people will listen to it and possibly uh, think about some things that maybe they hadn't thought about before. And if one or two people are drawn a little bit closer together on the topic, uh, then I feel like I did my job. But it's been a hellacious month. Um, but in between all of the goings-on and dramas in my personal life, I have enjoyed getting to sit down and and work on this episode. I put a lot of work into it, so hopefully the result will match that work, and it'll be just as good. Uh, this is the second-to-last episode of the Smells Like Middle-Aged Period podcast, season four, for now. Um, so if you still want to support the show, I encourage you, please, to subscribe on any of your favorite podcast listening platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts iHeartRadio, uh, Stitcher, all the pretty much anywhere but Pandora. I still haven't figured out why the hell it's so difficult to get your podcast on Pandora. Um, yeah, fuck them, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Unless they want to be a sponsor. Then I take that back. Um, but yeah, and then if you're listening on that on one of your favorite platforms, or if you're on YouTube, you can go to the show notes. There is a link in there to the tip jar. And if you want to leave me a little sum sum, I appreciate it. Uh, anytime that we've gotten a tip, the money that we were given goes right back into the show, trying to provide you guys with more content, hopefully on a more consistent basis. Uh, before we do get started, speaking of good content, I want to shout out the Burn Appetite podcast. My buddy Dwayne Lusby um, asked me to join their podcast. Burn Appetite uh, is a group of guys, Dwayne, Bernie, and Scott, a bunch of good guys, um, Dwayne's here in Houston, Bernie and Scott. One of them is in Missouri and the other one's in Pennsylvania. I sorry, I'm sorry, but I forget which one. But they get together on their podcast and they discuss different types of food, different restaurants. They pick items off the menu to try them and then they do a review of them and they have a good time doing it. So uh, actually, Dwayne is the guy who I sold my previous podcast equipment to. And so in the course of that transaction, he said, hey, you want to come do this podcast? And I'd been listening to it for a while. So I was like, hell yeah. So I'll be on there soon. Um, I don't know when we're recording that and when it's going to be released. But I encourage you guys to go check them out anyway. It's called the Burn Appetite podcast. Very good podcast. And of course, I want to shout out my boy Prescott Kelly, 
of chopping it up with press uh with p scott um this guy is i look up to him in the sense that this dude is extremely consistent at least more so consistent than i've been getting his content out there and come hell or high water whether he's working got shit going on uh this dude is dedicated to the craft and i applaud him for that um prescott you're my hero <laughs> i'm gonna try to raise up to your level man i mean for for those of you who who know me you know that i really love doing this and i take it seriously um my goal is to be more consistent with it and i've i've honestly got some big plans prescott and i have talked about some of them i don't want to be that guy who talks about what he's going to do uh i'm kind of the nut up or shut up guy so i just what i will say is that there's some things that we're working on that I'm excited about, and I hope that we can share those with you soon. Um, but yeah, thank you for for all of your support, P. Scott. You guys go check out their podcasts; they're great podcasts. Um, very talented guys, and you'll enjoy listening. So I decided that uh, last week I sang for you, and that went so well. Um, I figured I got to switch it up, though. I'm not gonna sing for you. I think I'm gonna rap for you. So uh, you guys ain't ready for this, though, because I'm going to let you know right now, my skills are off the charts. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I apologize. You're going to have to wait to hear a podcast Funky Fresh Nick at another time. I'm sorry if I got you excited, but I'm not going to be rapping to you. Why don't we go ahead and get to the subject at hand? To be or not to be, that really is the question. And I hope that the Shakespeare estate doesn't come after me for some type of copyright or trademark violation. Um, but the question we're asking that about today is the term woke. To be or not to be woke. Now, I want to say, I think wokeness is a very hot button topic in America. I'm not naive enough to believe that it's a hot topic with everyone because I do understand that maybe I pay attention to some of the politics of the world more than a lot of people, but there's no way in the world the subject of wokeness has not touched us in some way. Um, if it's not our politics, it's trickled its way into the school system at least the topic, the subject at hand, has triggered its trickled its way into the school system. Um, television, movies are, are being accused of being too woke, or maybe some things are being accused of not woke enough. And what I've discovered throughout the debate being had is that people are just really having a hard time defining what exactly is woke and my thing is <laughs> is that i have a perspective on things that i believe are unique in the sense that i have a multicultural biracial upbringing um a lot of the divide on whether woke is a good thing or not thing can fall not just down political lines, but even be drawn down the middle and you're on the other side of either 
racial lines, cultural lines. The divide is, I guess, multifaceted, if you want to say. Growing up as a young man who is the product of a biracial relationship, I often compare it to when you're a kid and you see your parents fighting. And even as a young child, I, I was aware of my parents when they were arguing about something. And oftentimes, to show you how stupid and petty our fights as adults can be sometimes, I would actually be quite understanding of what the subject matter was at hand and why they were arguing. And the crazy thing about it is even at a young age, I could see both perspectives of each individual. And I kind of wished that I could interject myself and say, you know, mom, what dad is trying to say unsuccessfully is this. And dad, what mom is trying to say to you unsuccessfully is this. And as a young kid, I never dared to interject myself into those conversations. Um, but sometimes like, I just wished that I could because I knew that I could help them maybe better understand one another. Well, now I am an adult and oftentimes, like I said, some of these political divides are also racial divides in a lot of instances. And I feel like I understand two perspectives. I understand uh, the middle-aged white man in America because I am partially that. And I also understand in a lot of ways the plight of the black man in America or the African-American experience. Um, not fully, obviously, because of the way I look, but I do have interesting perspective. I can understand the perspective of the white man in America who doesn't want to be punished for the sins of his ancestors. I get that. I really do. Um, I can also understand the perspective of a young black man who just has a completely different experience than a young white man or an older black man and a younger white man. Um, there's different experiences. And it's not necessarily because I've experienced them, but I've witnessed it up close and personal, you know, through family members and whatnot. And also, <laughs> when you're a half black guy who looks the way that I do, um, a lot of people get comfortable around you saying some things that maybe they wouldn't say around everybody else. And, you know, it's funny because this subject of woke is one of the things that gets brought up a lot in some of these conversations. And it's how I know that those who are quote unquote anti-woke, I'm not saying everybody, but there are some, I would say a lot, anti-wokeness does have an anti-black root at minimum. There is a there is a level of anti-blackness in the anti-woke movement. And I think that's because most of these people don't understand what woke actually means. And so that's kind of what I want to get into today. But it's it it is it is a subject that is prevalent and I know maybe you don't face it on an everyday basis, but there's a, there, there's a, there's a large contingency of people who are making this 
debate very prevalent. We'll say that. How prevalent? Well, there's a young man. I say young man. He's probably my age, maybe a little bit older. Uh, he's the governor of Florida. His name is Ron DeSantis. He has been the poster child, I believe, of the anti-woke movement. And he's running for president. So he wants to get the rest of the country on board with his anti-woke movement as well. How serious is he about it? Well, he actually introduced legislation. It's called the Stop Woke Act. And woke is actually a... Um, why am I having a brain, a brain fart? It's an acronym. I'm sorry. It's stop W period O period K period E period act. And woke, according to this, stands for stop the wrongs to our kids and employees act. Which wouldn't that really be like the woke to key that? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just looking at it like, okay, I get it. Stop woke. I, I digress. I'm, I apologize. The Stop Woke Act. Um, and it's and legislation that would affect schools, corporations equally. Um, some of the details in this act is it codifies the Florida Department's education's prohibition on teaching critical race theories in K through 12 schools. It prohibits school districts, colleges, and universities from hiring woke CRT consultants. Uh, as far as corporations, it protects employees against hostile work environment due to critical race theory training. And the consequences it lists, uh, it provides employees, parents, and students a private right of action, strengthens enforcement authority, of the Florida Department of Education. So it's that serious. Like they've put it into law. Well, I will say that um, I believe that that particular legislation is uh, probably headed to the Supreme Court because I know that a federal judge in Florida deemed it unconstitutional, a uh, violation of First Amendment rights. And I'm sure that's going to make its way to the Supreme Court at some point. And we'll see what happens, but I mean, to put it into law, to stop woke, I mean, that that means that there's some people who see that as a serious problem. But my question is, is anything that we saw in that law, I mean, they brought up critical race theory. That's what does critical race theory have to do with wokeness? We can get into that later. Um, but this, this law puts out the idea that this is, this is a bad thing. We don't want this around our kids. We don't want this around our jobs, but it doesn't really give a definition of woke. So what is woke? Um, I think often it's conservatives who are con accused of not knowing what woke means. Um, but I'm going to give you a newsflash. Liberals don't know what it means either. I believe that wokeness um, or the term woke, let's just, let's keep it a buck. The term woke started out in black culture. Um, 
I don't want to call it a slang terminology because that seems a little insensitive. Um, but you know, the term woke has been, it's been misappropriated like many things <laughs> get misappropriated, um, in our community. I say our community in the black community, a lot of things that they say and do become misappropriated, get turned into something that it's not. And we've discussed that many times, uh, but I think it's been co-opted by a lot of white folks, both conservative and liberal. I'll give you an example. Um, there's some people out there who might consider Bill Maher to be a little woke. Even he has an issue with wokeness, but I want to let you listen to an interview that he did on CNN and see if you feel like he has a clear idea of what it means to be woke. How do you define wokeness? Because I hear people use the term all the time, and it means something different to, to everybody. Well, again, I think it's this collection of ideas that uh, are not building on liberalism, but very often undoing it. I mean, five years ago, I don't, Abraham Lincoln was not a controversial figure among liberals. We liked him. <laughs> now they take his name off schools and tear down his statues. Really? Lincoln isn't good enough for you? Um, you know, five, ten years ago, bedrock liberalism was we are striving to be a colorblind society where we don't see race. Um, of course, we see it, but it doesn't matter. That's not what woke is. Woke is something very different. It's, it's identity. It's we see it all the time. It's always the most important thing. I don't think that's liberalism. I mean, I could mention so many issues like that. Um, I remember doing... Um, that uh, show on HBO, uh, Comic Relief for the Homeless. And the idea then, again, among liberals, I thought was, you know, for the sake of compassion, can we get these people off the street so they have a roof over their heads? And now it's like, how dare you <laughs> try to move the homeless? This is where they live. It's like, again, you, you change the definitions and then you say, I'm more conservative. I believe what I've always believed. You change these things and then you yell at me for it. All right. Now, maybe you listened to that and you were like, preach, Bill Maher. From my perspective, I just heard a lot of word salad. I heard Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I heard just, I didn't really hear a clear, like so he was asked, what is wokeness? And um, I don't feel like he really had a clear grasp on what exactly it means to be woke. Um, and that's somebody who's probably in the past uh, been at least accused of being fairly woke. And then we have a rather viral clip by now, if you haven't seen it, of um, a woman being interviewed on The Hill, which is a conservative network. And she was asked what the definition of woke is. And this was her answer. Could, could, would you mind defining woke? Because it's come up a couple times and I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, I mean, woke is sort of the idea that... Um, I. This is going to be one of those moments that goes viral. I mean, woke is something that's very hard to define, and we've spent an entire chapter defining it. It is sort of the understanding that we need to re -to totally reimagine and re re 
redo society in order to create hierarchies of oppression. Um, sorry, I it's it's hard to explain in a fifteen second soundbite. Huh? It's hard to define, but you wrote a whole chapter on it. Okay. You know, I'm one of those like keep it simple, stupid type of people. Back in the day when we had a hard time defining something, <laughs> what we did is we just went to the dictionary. <laughs> so let's keep it simple, stupid. What's the Oxford Dictionary's uh, definition of woke? It is a verb and it is past of wake. That's the verb definition. Now, it also, in the same dictionary, says there's an adjective, sometimes derogatory. The adjective for woke is comparative to woker or a superlative to wokest. And it gives a demonstration or a example here. Alert and concerned about social injustice and discrimination. He is an activist and very woke. Okay, so I would surmise that even the Oxford Dictionary is acknowledging this second definition of the word woke, but I really want to focus on the first one, the past of wake. Okay, well, let's look up the definition of wake. It's a verb. The first definition says emerge or cause to emerge from a state of sleep. Stop sleeping. Similar are awake, awaken, waken up. To become alert or aware of. Or to cause something to stir or come to life. Those are definitions of wake, which is the past tense of woke. Let's keep it simple. That's the definition of woke. Now, obviously, it's not literal. In a figurative sense, the definition of woke is to be awake, alert, not asleep. Why would any government want to abolish the emerging from a figurative state of sleep or the being alert or aware? Why would they want to do that? You know, it really wasn't all that uncommon to hear the phrase stay woke not that long ago when someone was encouraging you to see things past what they are on the surface, to see things for what they truly are. Um, so the initiative to stop woke seems to me like it's really about uh, the opposite of that. But it's being presented to us as an initiative to save the children and about saving America from the people who hate it. Um, but let's just keep it simple, stupid. There are things going on in this country, the debate on wokeness that I believe to be one of them, that are actually keeping us from being truly awake to the issues that affect all of us equally. 
And I've made a list of some of those things that I feel like the wokeness debate and some of the other divisive tactics that are being used uh, in our country are really distracting us from. Believe it or not, there's some things out there that maybe you should be woke about, but it's not the things you're used to hearing about. And I would like to kindly, if you'll allow me, bring some of those things to your attention. What is this wokeness debate? What is the critical race theory debate? What are all the culture war debates distracting us from? Well, the first thing that I can think of and the first thing I put on this list is that in reality, our country is not being run by the left, the right, the Democrats, the Republicans, the woke, the anti-woke. Fact of the matter is our country is being run by corporations. And I'll give you some examples. You guys remember a few years ago, that time that we thought that finally pharmaceutical companies were going to be held accountable for all their price gouging on medicines such as insulin, you know, life-saving treatments. And we thought they were going to finally be held accountable for the uh, their contributing or causing the opioid crisis. Lawsuits were coming up and they were talking about CEOs facing jail time. It was, it was finally going to happen. Then we had this little thing called the COVID pandemic. What happened after the COVID pandemic started? All of a sudden, these pharmaceutical companies became the heroes. You stopped hearing about them being held accountable for price gouging and for the opioid crisis, you didn't hear any of that. Now they were all working their tails off to come up with a vaccine to cure us of COVID. And in the fact, in the course of doing that, they made a lot of money. I looked up the source's Fierce Pharma if you're watching the video, I have some of the headlines up. If you're listening, I'll, I'll read them to you. The first one says, Pfizer, become, Pfizer to become $100 billion behemoth next year, thanks to COVID-19 drug and vaccine. Moderna reaped $18.4 billion in COVID vaccine sales last year. Projects at least $5 billion in 2023 johnson and johnson you remember them they were a part of the opioid lawsuits they were considered to have a weak quarter of vaccine sales they were the least johnson and johnson was the least successful of all of the vaccines uh, <laughs> it was often framed as the ghetto vaccine i i, <laughs> I don't know where that came from but like, if you had the Johnson and Johnson shot, people kind of looked at you like, mm. <laughs> but they, they being the least successful of all of the pharmaceutical companies that made vaccines, they still earned $2.4 billion. 
And as a whole, the company made $3.5 billion through 2020-2021 while selling vaccines. Um, 2022, I believe their sales were $3.5 billion, which was more than enough for them to pay off, break a little check off to these lawsuits, this accountability they were supposed to be facing. According to NPR, Johnson & Johnson proposed paying $8.9 billion to settle their talcum powder lawsuits. You remember those? Their powder was causing cancer in adults and in babies. Johnson & Johnson, according to Fierce Pharma, drug distributors finalized a $26 billion opioid settlement as states joined the landmark deal. So... All these companies that were going to be held to account, and Pfizer was included, there was Moderna, everybody had to pay out money for being involved in this opioid crisis. And they paid money to who? To you and me? To the victims? No, they paid it to the states. So we go from, we're going to hold you accountable for literally killing people by purposely getting them addicted to opioids and literally killing people by making it damn near unaffordable to have life-saving treatment to you become the heroes because you're going to make us a vaccine that's going to save us from COVID-19. But all they had to do was throw some money at it. Was there any accountability for the opioid crisis or for the price gouging? Well, you may be interested to know that there was a small company called Rochester Drug Cooperative. Uh, their CEO, Lawrence Dowd, was indicted uh, I don't have the exact date here. I believe he was indicted in 2021. Um, but the 75-year-old surrendered to authorities in New York City, and he was awaiting arraignment on two counts of conspiracy. Basically what they say is that this man maximized his revenues uh, by ignoring red flags about certain pharmacy customers. Um, and he doubled his revenue between 2012 and 2016, marketing the sales of drugs like oxycodone and fentanyl. So knowing that these drugs were killing people, he was just making money. And surely... He got what he deserved, right? According to this article, he faced a mandatory sentence of 10 years in prison. I'd say that'd be more than, I'd say that's the least they could do for a guy who is knowingly killing people, right? 10 years. And, you know, maybe he's the fall guy, but he was a part of it, you know. So what happened to him? Well, according to justice.gov, which is the Department of Justice website, Lawrence Dowd, former CEO of pharmaceutical distributor, was sentenced to 27 months in prison for conspiring to unlawfully distribute controlled substances and defrauding the DEA. 27 months? I've heard of sentences longer than that for possession of marijuana. 
there's people who committed robbery that have gone to jail for longer than 27 months. This dude killed millions of people and made a ton of money doing it. Now, we'll say uh, that company eventually, the Rochester company, they eventually did uh, have to close because there was just too many lawsuits. But, I mean, they were they were small fries in comparison to Johnson & Johnson, who's still open. Moderna is still open. Pfizer is still open. Um, and this guy got 27 months, and he's probably still rich. I guarantee you he's still rich. <laughs> So it seems like there really hasn't been any justice done on that front. Now, whose fault is that? Donald Trump, Joe Biden, the Democrats, the Republicans. You may be interested to find out what may be the answer to why there's not a whole lot of accountability to these pharmaceutical companies. I'm going to give you a list of the top recipients of pharmaceutical money, according to OpenSecrets.org, which is a nonprofit website that tracks money and politics. I'm going to, and it tracks campaign funds every time there's a campaign. So every two years, it tracks who got money from where. And if you're watching, I have a list up now of the top eight recipients of pharmaceutical recipients i'm sorry pharmaceutical donations number one joe biden got nearly nine million dollars from pharmaceutical companies who was number two? Oh, you see they had to hedge their bet so number two was donald trump he got nearly three million dollars from pharmaceutical companies the number three Shocked the shit out of me. I don't know about you guys. But do you know who the number three recipient of pharmaceutical money was in the 2020 election? Bernie freaking Sanders. Yeah, that Bernie Sanders. The guy who is constantly talking about how he wants to hold pharmaceutical companies accountable. And he's going to fight for the American people to make drugs affordable and hold them accountable for the opioid crisis. They gave that man nearly one and a half million dollars. Just in case he became the president. Now, let me ask you a question. Put the list back up here. Bernie Sanders, Jamie Harrison, John Ossoff, Pete Bridges, Raphael Warnock, Elizabeth Warren. Do you think it's a coincidence that those top eight donors all but Donald Trump won their election in 2020. Do you think these pharmaceutical companies paid all this money to these people because they just want to be make sure that somebody holds them accountable for price gouging and the opioid crisis? Maybe. Maybe that is what they want. Maybe that's why they gave all that money to those politicians who all just so happened to have won their elections. Except for Donald Trump. But once again, that was that was just a hedging of the bet. Just in case Donald Trump wins, yo, 
We broke you off too. Let's look at the top pharma recipients in 2022. Number one, Raphael Warnock, Senator Georgia, won his election. Kathy Morris Rogers, Republican. Scott Peters, Democrat. Tim Scott, Republican senator from South Carolina is on there. It's Republicans and Democrats all up and down this list. All receiving money from pharmaceutical companies. Why? So they can be held accountable. So that we can write legislation that makes the price of drugs fair. These companies are making billions of dollars. And the people that are getting us all riled up. We're not talking about all the money they're making. Pharmaceutical companies making billions of dollars. They're paying off our politicians. Pissing on us and calling it rain by making minor price cuts to critical medications. Like you saw in the Inflation Reduction Act. That bipartisan legislation. All the while getting Americans addicted to their drugs for their own profit. But do we care? No, we don't care. Why? Because pronouns. We care about pronouns. You see, we accept that politicians are at a minimum corrupt and at worst criminals because that's how it's always been. Like, we just accept that. But people using different pronouns, that's something different. And you know what? This is America. We don't like different. Regardless of whether somebody using a different pronoun affects us in any way, it's different. (laughs) We don't like different. But nobody, nobody's paying attention to the fact that all of these politicians, like now, now, maybe I'll tell you, we'll we'll get to that a little bit later. But they're they're basically they're writing legislation to enrich themselves. Now, is it possible that maybe the legislation they're writing they also believe is what's best for the American people? Well. I don't know if you checked, but the price of insulin is still through the roof. The cost of medications is still going up. And these companies are still making profit hand over fist. How about the pressure that we've been feeling at the gas pump? There's so much finger pointing between Democrats, Republicans, who's to blame. And generally, these Politicians know that we are far too simple-minded to think critically about this issue and what could possibly be the cause. They know that we're either going to blame the president of the United States for high gas prices or we're going to give him credit when they're low. That's just the easy way to think about it. You've probably seen at your gas pump those stickers of Joe Biden pointing to the price saying, I did that. Of course. But... Really, who's in control of gas prices? Like, if you're a business owner, who's in control of what you charge for your services? You, the person who produces the service. So, 
isn't it fair to state that the price of oil is generally going to be controlled by the people who are producing it, whether they're producing enough, whether they're not producing enough? Well, in 2022, according to Reuters, big oil doubles its profits in blockbuster 2022. Big oil more than doubled its profits in 2022 to the tune of $219 billion, smashing previous records in a year of volatile energy prices that we were told were due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, reshaped global energy markets, and in some cases, the industry's climate ambitions. We were told the price of oil is going up because we're not putting enough money into it. This climate change initiative, that's, that's the problem. The combined $219 billion in profits, according to this article, BP, Chevron, Equinor, ExxonMobil, Shell, Total Energies, was used to shower shareholders with cash. The top Western oil companies paid out a record $110 billion in dividends and share repurchases. That means they're buying their own stock back to raise the value of it. Honestly spurring outrage calls on governments to impose windfall taxes on the industry to help consumers with surging energy costs. Did the government do anything about it? No. I wonder why. Let's go back to OpenSecrets.com and take a look at the top oil and gas recipients, starting with 2020. Number one, Donald J. Trump, almost $4 million. That's the guy they probably would have preferred to be in office, but just in case. Number two, Joseph R. Biden, about $1.6 million to his campaign. You think they paid Joe Biden that money because they want to be held accountable for price gouging? They want to be held accountable for oil production? They got Senator David Perdue, won his election. John Cornyn won his election. Kelly Loeffler did not win her election. Uh, Cory Gardner, I believe he won his. Stephen Daines, that one I'm not sure of. And then Mitch McConnell is still the uh, Senate uh, minority leader for the Republican Party. So all the people in power with the most power got the most money from oil and gas. So you think they're going to have any incentive to hold these companies accountable for making money hand over fist while it's impossible for some people to even fill up their tank so that they can go to work? Of course not. And you look at that list, Democrats and Republicans all up and down it. Here's the 2022 list. If you recall in 2022... We were trying to pass the Inflation Reduction Act, and there was one politician named Joe Manchin who was holding everything up because he felt like there was too much climate legislation and not enough money going to oil and gas. Well, he was the top recipient of oil and gas money in 2022. 
that might have something to do with his stance on that position. Now, look, it's possible that Joe Manchin really believes that oil and gas, fossil fuels is really what's best energy independence, as he would call it, energy stability. There's a chance that he really believes that that's what's best for the country. My question to you, though, could it possibly be due to the fact that this man is literally in the oil and gas industry himself? According to the New York Times and Open Secrets. So there's a New York Times article about how Joe Manchin aided coal and earned millions at every step of his political career. Joe Manchin helped a West Virginia power plant that is the sole customer of his private coal business along the way he blocked ambitious climate action. According to Open Secrets, Manchin made between $591,000, nearly $1.5 million in 2020 from Inner Systems, a coal brokerage company he founded in West Virginia. Between 2011 and 2020, the West Virginia senator made between 4.9 million and 5.1 million from coal companies and in 2020 he had between 1.4 million and 5.8 million held in coal companies so i asked the question whether you agree with joe manchin or not that fossil fuel is the way to go over renewable energy let's take the politics out of it do you honestly believe that Joe Manchin made the decision to hold up legislation until more money was going to oil and gas because he really thought that's what's best for the people of West Virginia? West Virginia, by the way, is one of the, if not the poorest states in the United States. But they don't call Joe Manchin Maserati Joe for nothing. The man is making money and he's he's printing, he's basically printing it himself. Now I live here in Deer Park in Texas, and I know what you guys are saying. Well, you see, Nick, that's what the Democrats do. They're corrupt. Look at this list. Kevin McCarthy was the number two. He's the speaker of the house. Republican, August Pfluger, Republican, James Lankford, Republican, Wesley Hunt. All of these people, Herschel Walker in Georgia. He lost his election, but he got plenty of money just in case. All the money is going to the people that the oil and gas companies know are going to help them out. But while they're making this money hand over fist, How are the American people being helped? Who's fighting for the everyday guy? But hey, man, they're teaching critical race theory in kindergarten. They're trying to have drag queens read to your kids at school.
They want you to feel guilty for being white. Come on, man. Oftentimes, I'll watch sessions of Congress on some stupid-ass channel like C-SPAN or something. (laughs) And when they're in session, Democrats and Republicans are constantly barking back and forth, fighting with each other, saying, you're the problem with this country. No, you're the problem with this country. And we, as the American people, we see this and we get... It's almost like a football game to us. Which side are you rooting for? And they act like they hate each other. But you ever... C-SPAN does a good job of this because they leave the cameras on when the session's over. And I think to myself, surely these politicians know that the cameras are still on, right? But as soon as the session is over, those same people who are yelling at each other and barking back and forth they're high-fiving they're hugging they're shaking hands they're making plans on which steakhouse they're gonna eat at tonight and who has the best creme brulee it's a game man these people look at every single piece of quote-unquote bipartisan legislation that exists you know what it all has in common there's money going to corporations tech companies, oil and gas companies, pharmaceutical companies, insurance companies. They put it on the on the internet. You can go to congress.gov and read these bills in detail. They know you're not going to. But they're playing this trick. They're using culture wars to get us to fight amongst one another to keep the heat off of them. And they've even got a few boogeymans out there. They've got critical race theory. They've got wokeness. They've got immigration. This has been going on in not just America, but like in the world. What a lot of the elite like to do is they want the middle class to believe that the poor people are their enemy. You know, those people taking welfare and living off the government, those lazy pieces of shit, or all those immigrants that are coming over here and taking our jobs. They've turned poor people into the enemy of the middle class, when in reality, it is rich people who have become the enemy of the middle class. Money is power. There are three men in America who own more wealth than the bottom 50% of the population. Statista has an article in the fourth quarter of 2022, 68.2% of the total wealth in the United States was owned by the top 10% of earners. In comparison, the lowest 50% of earners only owned 3% of total wealth. Maybe you don't think that's a problem, but... Who do you think (laughs) all that money going to those politicians, do you think it's coming from that bottom 50%? No. You saw where it's coming from. 
Our politicians are being paid. They're becoming rich in order to keep corporations rich. According to inequality.org, the top 0.01% don't pay their fair share in taxes as they hoard more wealth. According to IP analysis, signs and Zuckman data, America's richest 0.01% have accumulated more wealth as they've accumulated more wealth. They have paid a smaller share of total U.S. taxes in 2018. The tax share of the top 0.01% was close to what it was in 1953. So that means in 2018, the tax share of the top 0.01% was just about the same as it would have been in 1953. By contrast, their share in the nation's wealth had nearly quadrupled during that period, rising from 2.5% to 9.6%. So they're making more and more money. You can see the chart there if you're watching. Yet, they're paying less taxes. Why do you think that top percent of the country are the highest donators to politicians in America, Democrat and Republican? Once again, is it to hold them accountable? Look, man, you can be the judge of that. Has anybody held pharmaceutical companies accountable? Price gouging? No. Have tech companies truly been held responsibility? I'm sorry. Have tech companies truly been held responsible for selling your personal information to advertisers online? No. Is there ever going to be a time where the top 1% are held accountable by the people who make the laws and are made to pay their fair share in taxes? While they make record profits off the backs of the American people, keep in mind these companies, the money they're making is coming from you, whether you work for them or you buy their products. Probably not. There's probably not going to be any accountability, and I hate to say that, but it's because all the politicians are getting rich from these companies who pay them off to make sure they keep getting richer. And as this happens, the gap between rich and poor just grows wider and wider and that means the fewer people have real power to affect change this is a democracy the beautiful thing about a democracy is that the people are supposed to be in power and these politicians are supposed to represent the people but are they really doing that or are they keeping us distracted fighting amongst one another while they just continue to make money hand over fist. Big tech companies poured millions into the election. Here's who they supported. Microsoft. Total contributions, $17 million. Top recipient was Joe Biden and Democrat super PACs. Three quarters of the Microsoft funds went to Democrats and 14% went to Republicans. Trust me, they're hedging their bets, people. Top recipients included the Senate Majority PAC, 2.4 million, Joe Biden, 2 million, the DNC, 1.5, and the Democrat Super PAC. 
So for all you Democrats out there who think, oh, man, it's Republicans are the ones who are corrupt. That's your boy. Alphabet, $21 million. Top recipients, Joe Biden, Democrat super PACs. Amazon, $8.9 million. Top recipients, Joe Biden. But once again, they all hedge their bets. Uh, Amazon, one of the highest Republican funding rates among big tech donors, contributing $922,000, 14% of total funds to the federal, federal Republican candidates. Look, man, whoever wins, these companies need them in on their side. That's just the Democrats, right? You know, one of the things that I can relate to, to some people who we may have disagreements on politics, you know, Donald Trump became very, very popular because he was anti-establishment. A lot of people love Donald Trump because he came to break the system. And it's a system that we all agree needs to be broken. We just may disagree on how it needs to be broken. So here came Donald Trump and he was already a billionaire and he wasn't doing it for the money. He just wanted to help the little guy, the American people. He even refused to take the $400,000 annual salary for the presidency. That's how much he cared about America. Well, according to Forbes, Donald Trump's business hauled in $2.4 billion during the four years he served as president. You know, there's a lot of heat on Joe Biden right now because his kids earned a lot of money while he was vice president. But see, here's a problem. We don't like to point out when it's our guy who might have been doing the exact same shit. Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner earned, I believe, $2 billion from the Saudis once Donald Trump's presidency was over. What do you think that was for? Don't forget, Donald Trump made another $4.6 million selling NFT cards. You may remember those. Trump as an astronaut. Trump as a cowboy. Trump looking like George Washington. <laughs> oh, man. It doesn't matter that those things plummeted in value almost immediately. Because he got his 46 According to the New York Post, Trump raised $250 million off the stolen election claim. You remember the Stop the Steal fund that was supposed to go to his legal team to fight all those court cases to prove that we're going to prove that the election was stolen? That money came from people like me and you, people who work hard every day and it went to a billionaire who just continued to get rich 
And he's running again. Look, man, I hope anybody listening to this needs to understand this has nothing to do with my political leaning. I don't consider myself Democrat, Republican. I'm trying to point out to you that there may be some politicians that maybe get into the game really believing they're going to affect change and do the right thing. But this money in politics thing, man, it's it's a machine. What's it going to take to make it stop? I wish I knew, man. But hatred, bigotry, phobia of anybody who's not like you, extremism, these are all ploys to keep the common people off the asses of the elites, man. Keep us fighting each other and getting out to vote for our guy who's promised you he's going to save the country from the other guy. You know, those people we hate, I'm the guy who's going to save you from them. There's a lot going on, man, that this stuff is distracting us from. Texas Senate bill, SB 17. Uh, The Senate approves a bill that would ban diversity programs in public universities. That's just going to be a start. We're now anti-diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's considered too woke. Let's keep it simple, stupid. What's the definition of diversity? The state of being diverse, variety. Second definition, the practice or quality of including or involving people from a range of different social and ethnic backgrounds and different genders, sexual orientations, etc. That's a bad thing. That's too woke. Never mind the fact that for hundreds of years, it was the exact opposite. There was no diversity. And here's the problem with no diversity. No matter where it is, workplace, politics, like your friend circle, when you don't have a diverse view of the world and you only surround with people, I'm sorry, you only surround yourself with people who have the same experiences that you do, you become clueless to those outside perspectives and you almost put yourself in this cocoon. And if you're only represented by those same type of people, whether it be at work, in government, then there's nobody who can relate to other people's experiences. And we get in this vacuum where we think that our experience is the only experience that exists in this country. Diversity is extremely important. Equity. The quality of being fair and impartial. Come on, man. What's wrong with that? Inclusion. The action or state of including or being included within a group or structure. Second definition, the practice or policy of providing equal access to opportunities 
and resources for people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized, such as those who have physical or intellectual disabilities and members of other minority groups. But we want to fight against that? Why do we want to fight against that? Is it possible because for those who are in power, it is dangerous for those who have otherwise been excluded for so long to suddenly gain power or at least have some control over their circumstances? If that happens, is it possible that maybe some of those middle class folks are going to draw a little bit closer to the poor people? Because now the poor people, they're making their headway and they're entering the middle class. And that middle class is growing and growing and growing. And that top 1% is unsuccessfully able to distract us from the fact that they're keeping themselves rich. I'm just trying to give you some perspective, man. You can decide for yourself. I'm going to do my best to cite some of the sources that I used in the course of doing this episode. But what I'm trying to tell you, man, is I think what we need to do is turn off the devices, walk outside and speak to your neighbor. Not about politics, not about social issues, not about civil rights. You can talk about those things, but not until we've had a conversation about the things we've had, we have in common. First, let's put our heads together. Let's see how we can save not the country, but just our little slice of the world. How can we get along? And that starts by acknowledging that just because someone has different beliefs than you, that does not make them your enemy. If you're a Republican, Democrats are not your enemy. I know the politicians want you to believe that. And what both sides love to do is point at the examples of the most extreme of the other groups and tell you, you see what's happening to the country? When I guarantee you, most people are just like me and you, man. We just want to go to work, provide for our families, live comfortably, hopefully get some semblance of that American dream. But you have to understand that different people have different experiences, man. And don't be afraid of learning about those other experiences. You know, that Stop Woke Act was talking about critical race theory, which I'm just going to come out and say it now. There are no K-12 through schools teaching critical race theory. Um, there's no employers that are teaching their employees critical race theory the britannica definition for critical race theory is that it is an intellectual and social movement and loosely organized framework of legal analysis based on the premise that race is not a natural biologically grounded feature of physically distinct subgroups of humans um, human, excuse me of human beings but a socially constructed category that is used to oppress and exploit people of color race is not real basically is what that's saying it is a construct 
a construct used to oppress and exploit people of color. If you're not a person of color, that may make you feel really uncomfortable. But I want you to think about the history of this country. Critical race theorists hold that racism is inherent in the law and legal institutions of the United States insofar as they function to create and maintain social, economic, and political inequalities between whites and non-whites, especially African Americans. Critical race theory theorists are generally dedicated to applying their understanding of the institutional or structural nature of racism to the concrete, if distant, goal of eliminating all race-based and other unjust hierarchies. Somebody tell me why that's a bad thing. Okay, maybe you don't believe that systemic racism is a thing. And the reason you don't believe it is because you've never experienced it. Is it possible that there's other experiences outside of yours? Maybe go talk to somebody else. Maybe see if there are some other experiences out there. You know, it's hard to care about things that don't affect you directly, but I think it is important. You know, it's actually funny because I was watching, I was paying attention to uh, the debate on the debt ceiling um, and whether, you know, back when they were debating whether we were going to, you know, raise the debt limit and the repercussions of what could happen if America defaulted on their their debt. And I was talking to my wife about it, and she said to me, you know, that stuff doesn't even affect you. I'm like, well, it could. She's like, but they're going to settle the, the debt ceiling. Like, it's all politics right now. They're just trying to get it's all political games. Get the Democrats to talk bad about the Republicans, vice versa. And I agree with that. But what I do disagree with is that I shouldn't care about something if it doesn't directly affect me. I think that's a big problem with us as a society as a whole. Is If something doesn't directly affect us, the majority of us just don't give a fuck. As I try to wind this down, um, and I hope I did a good enough job, you know, I I always second guess myself <laughs> when it comes to this show because I want I want to make an impact on this world. It's why I do this. And you know, the last episode that I'll be doing is talking about what will your legacy be. And legacy has a lot of different meanings to a lot of people, but for me. My legacy means what am I leaving behind that will last long after I'm gone? And that's obviously yet to be determined. But if anything is taken away from this episode, um, I want you guys to know that being woke doesn't mean feeling guilty for being white. Being woke doesn't mean acknowledging the existence of LGBTQ individuals. It certainly doesn't mean grooming children to be members of the LGBTQ community. 
Uh, it doesn't mean hating Abraham Lincoln, like Bill Maher said. I don't <laughs> really know what that was about, but to be woke means to be aware, to be alert, to be conscious. Learning to understand the thing, learning to understand the things you previously didn't. Seeing things beyond what they appear on the surface. I know for a fact there's not anybody listening to this who thinks that's a bad thing. As a matter of fact, each and every one of us is woke about something. So is the problem being woke? Or is the problem that you don't like what certain individuals are woke about? All of us have been woke at one time or another. I'm telling you that right now. If you used to see a young black man with dreads or cornrows walking your way down the street or on the sidewalk, and it used to make you uncomfortable or uneasy, thinking he was a thug or dangerous, and then one day you decided, you know what, I'm going to stop and have a conversation with this young man, and you discovered that he's into country music, and he likes fishing, just like you do. Guess what? In that moment, you became woke. If you assume that that female boss at your work must have gotten her job because she's fucking somebody, right? Then you actually talk to her one day and you find out that she grinded her way up that ladder while going to school, while raising a family, facing as many adversities or maybe even more than you did. And that she earned her place. In that moment, you became woke. If you once believe that your experience in America is the same as everyone else's, regardless of upbringing, sex, race, religion, gender identity, whatever, but then you talk to someone with an open mind about their experiences and you discovered that things aren't always the same for everyone. In that moment, you became woke. You learned something you didn't know before. Nothing scares people in power more than the people beneath them Gaining knowledge and understanding. It's why slaves weren't allowed to read. They weren't allowed to be educated at all. Because knowledge is power. Listen man, being woke, it takes humility. It takes self-reflection. It takes bravery. Admitting you were blind to something in the past is not easy. Admitting you were wrong is not easy. But you know what it is? It's woke as fuck. Listen, I hope anyone who listened to this was able to gain something from the episode. I truly love you, whoever you are. Because maybe you saw the title of this episode and you said, fuck that. But you clicked on it anyway. And maybe you disagree with everything I said. Or maybe you won't believe it till you research it yourself, which I encourage you to do. Like I said, I'm going to cite my sources and I encourage you to find more sources. But I'm telling you right now, just the fact that you clicked on this, even though you may not have wanted to, you're still woke, bro. Um, I want to thank, once again, the audience, my loyal listeners, Smells Like Middle Age Spirit Podcast loyal listeners. For having the patience to wait on this episode. Um, I hope I did the topic justice. 
I would be very interested to have this conversation in the future with another guest, maybe someone, maybe not necessarily an opposing view, but a different view. Um, I just want you guys to stay conscious of the fact that us as human beings, we're not enemies, man. And there are forces out there that are trying to keep us that way. They're trying to make us enemies of one another. And like I said, through this whole episode, it's just a big distraction and I don't want you to fall for it. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Smells Like Middle-Aged Spirit podcast presents Off Script with Nick Stevenson. It's been a pleasure to do this episode. I'm not going to say next week. I'm not going to say next month, but I'm looking very much forward to doing the final episode of season four where we talk about what will your legacy be. All of us are going to have one in some way or another, but what will it be? In the meantime, I hope you guys stay kind to one another. I love you. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time.